Tonight we're in Leviticus chapter 20. If you guys want to turn there, jumping right back into the book. And um, we're going to be looking at things that were kind of already addressed in chapter 18, but they're being reiterated with more detail tonight. And these are things that are very pertinent to the day we're living in, issues of, of uh, you know, at, um, for them it was child sacrifice. For us it's issues of, of no doubt, abortion, sexual immorality, uh, cultism, and so forth. It's just amazing how there's nothing new underneath the sun. And uh, we'll see how these things grieve the heart of the Lord, but in the midst of it, God calls them to follow after Him. And we have a wonderful God of compassion and grace and mercy who offers forgiveness and offers life in the midst of all these other things that, uh, you know, dangle out life like a carrot, but really bring death. And so tonight, hopefully, we'll be encouraged in this, more equipped. I think there's some real key things we need to consider in our call of, of, of walking with the Lord and representing Him and, and so forth. So uh, while you guys are turning, there are a few, a few announcements I want to touch on. Um, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago before I, I, I took, a, took a couple weeks break. Uh, tonight's the last night where we're going to have dinners for a few months. Uh, the, the, the team back there, man, they have, they have worked so hard over the last eight months uh, having dinners uh, on, on, for us on Wednesday nights. I know it's been a blessing to a lot of folks with school and their kids and so forth. So I, don't, I think a few of those folks are in here. Others are down the hall. Can we give them a hand clap tonight? And, and what, what a way, what a way to, to end with tri-tip sandwiches. I didn't get to eat mine because I was in a meeting, but I'm going to have that afterwards. So, I'm looking, so don't eat my, that sandwich is actually for mine. You don't get that for me. You don't get that. So uh, in a couple months, Lord willing, though, we'll start that up again as we head towards the next school year. But uh, the cafe will be open probably at like 5.45 or 6 o'clock, so you guys can still come if you, if you want to, you know, they have a lot of food there. Or if you want to bring food from home, the the uh, be open out there. We got this wonderful area out here, so come and, you know, bring your food and eat, and uh, we'll continue to, to, to break the, word of, the bread of life, the word of God, and get into it. Uh, tomorrow, we got all church prayer at noon. You're welcome to come join us. And then I know a lot of these things have been being announced. Saturday night as uh, a Mexico mission fundraiser, dinner, and auction. A lot of those items, most of those things are homemade out there on the foyer that you can bid on. And then uh, you can still sign up, I believe, uh, for the dinner. They have tickets out there in the foyer. And I, we went last year. It was just a great time. We have a new uh, home group starting. It's on Sunday evening. And so uh, there's more information about that out in the foyer as well. I believe they're going to be studying the book of Galatians, all right, the uh, book of Galatians. Uh, so all you Pharisees, for sure, sign up for that. And, uh, you know, let's, let's not be bewitched what we begin in the Spirit. Let's continue in the Spirit. So uh, that should be a great study. And then Vacation Bible School, you know what? What awesome every year, right? I mean, what awesome decorations. I know, I think Sunday there might be polar bears up here. I don't know. If not this Sunday, next, next week. And be keeping that in prayer, I mean, the Lord just always packs this place with kids, and it makes an impact. And, um, you know, these kids come out and, and, and hear the gospel, and so I want to lift that up to the Lord. And then a couple of ministry opportunities. There's a need for another uh, sound person on Sunday morning, and usually they rotate. And then also the parking lot ministry, a uh, few of the guys that are involved in that have had surgery recently, 
So we're looking for some, some folks to step up in that. And uh, for any of that stuff, you can, uh, there's names in the bulletin, or you can just call down to the office if you're interested in getting involved in that. So Leviticus chapter 20, let's get into this and uh, consider some things here and, and some truths that, uh, again, these are very uh, pertinent to our culture today and um, uh, hard-hitting things, um, you know, uh, but things that need to be addressed and uh, see God's heart and mind concerning these things. And uh, we'll, we'll read in here that, you know, the Lord abhors sin. He really does. And as believers, we need to abhor it as well. And not in a holier-than-thou, you know, judgy attitude towards non-believers. They're already condemned. Uh, they need to come to Christ for salvation. And definitely not in a manner of, of puffing up ourselves in, you know, whatever good works we may be doing you can spoil those real quick when you get puffed up in them right uh, but in a humility and an understanding that our God is holy and our sin separated us from him and you know at all, all this we're reading about it's it's the reason why Christ came to make that way of salvation and lay down his life and, and the Lord died for these the, for for sinners and for sin and he abhors it and a lot of these things we'll be reading about tonight uh, th- these things are promoted today as good and proper, and sadly, even in Christianum, if you want to call uh, the portion of Christianum that would promote this stuff as good, uh, there there are many that that claim to to be followers of Christ that promote these things that we'll talk about. And some of them are packaged a little differently than uh, they were back then, but it's the same thing. And we got to remember that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, you know, he doesn't waffle or waver and, and these things we'll talk about tonight, they're, they're damaging and they're hurting and they destroy cultures and so forth. So notice here, verse one, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and as, as we start into this, we've got to remember and we want to put before us right now, this is the Lord speaking because we're going to get again, get into some issues that a lot of people get bent out of shape when you start talking about. A lot of people want to justify and a lot of people want to promote even today, but this is the Lord speaking. And it's the Lord, uh, again, uh, speaking to Moses, as we'll see here in a minute, so Moses can take God's word and give it to the people. And we want to be a people that are coming here, getting equipped with God's word to take God's word out to the people. There's plenty of opinions in the world today, isn't there? But we need God's word. And we also need to remember as we look at this that God's word is true and right. This isn't God just throwing out another opinion here. And God's saying, hey, let's come and dialogue and decide what's right and what's wrong. And, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's have a conversation about it. Now, the Lord does say come and, and consider, and uh, the Lord welcomes us to come and, and grapple with his word and so forth. But at the end of the day, God's word is true. Psalm 33, 4 says, The word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus said, The truth will set you free. And so it's important that we know it. He said, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Also, what I want to point out here, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and for some reason, a lot of times when people read the Old Testament and different parts of the Bible outside of the Gospels, they get a disconnect from Jesus. And they think the words of Jesus are just found in the red letters in your Bible, right? There's even a a real grossly, um, you know what, I'll say unbiblical or liberal group called the red letter christians 
And they say, well, we only hear to the red letters of the Bible, the words of Jesus. And from there, they come up with all kinds of, of winds of doctrine that are grossly unbiblical uh, by even taking the red letters out of context and distorting them and so much. And I'm like, hey, if you just want to use the red letters, we're going to get the gospel, we're going to get righteousness, we're going to get holiness, we're going to get truth. But they got an agenda thinking, if I, could just, if I can push Paul out of the picture and Peter and James, we can just get these red letters and kind of move them around and so forth. But we got to remember that when we talk about the word of God, we're looking at the, at the heart of mind of not just God the Father and the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice again, the Lord spoke to Moses. Well, the scripture says uh, in Philippians 2.11 Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Lord is another word for God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to these matters. Because again, we're going to look at, at, at issues of, of child sacrifice. Um, today, it is, it is the same picture that we see with abortion, issues of sexual immorality. And you see people standing up wanting to justify this stuff who are professing Christians saying, well, Jesus never addressed any of these things. And the truth is the Lord did address these things, uh, even in his ministry in those red letters. But when we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about the word of God. And the last time I checked, Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. He is God. And so it's important that we recognize that. It wasn't the Lord saying, well, I'm just, you know, the son saying, I'm going to kick it over here. This is the heart of the father. And he's the bad guy. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm the hip, cool son. And, you know, I don't agree with my father. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work in perfect unity, perfect continuity, and so forth. They are completely separate as individuals and yet completely one as well. And again, we can't wrap our mind around it. But uh, at the same time, I praise God that my God's greater than my peanut brain is able to fully comprehend. Now, notice here verse 2. Again, this is the word of the Lord. Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Now notice here in verse 2, we see the word whoever. Whoever of the children of Israel, whoever, uh, you know, of the strangers who dwell in the land, they're going to be put to death. So there's no partiality with the Lord. Um, he doesn't say here, except, you know, for uh, these certain circumstances or these certain individuals because their situation is uh, unique and they get an exemption. And it's important that we understand there's no partiality with God. There's no partiality when it comes to coming to Christ. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news tonight? That whoever, and, and that includes me, that includes you, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you're thinking, uh, you know, well, the Lord would never forgive me or allow me to have a relationship with him, that's not what he has said. He says, whoever will call upon my name. And, and what that involves is, is you not being Lord anymore of your life, confessing your sin and asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's humbling your heart before him and asking for forgiveness. He says, whoever will call on me will be saved. There's no partiality. Well, it's the same with his judgments. And there's a lot of individuals that think they're an exception to the rule or their situation is unique. And he's making it very clear, whoever, and this is just one of many issues he brings up here, whoever would give 
any of their descendants to Moloch, surely they'll be put to death, whether they're uh, an Israelite or a stranger. He's saying there's no partiality in these things. and There's no partiality in that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and at the same time, whoever will shun him. They're under condemnation. It doesn't matter how men view them or how men see them or how they see themselves. If they think they've done so many good works, they're going to get saved or, you know what, they don't want to even believe there is a God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that there is one. Just as you go out tomorrow morning and you want to cover your eyes and deny the sun's in the sky, guess what? It's still hanging there in the sky. Um, There's no partiality with them. And his word is true. And so this was a huge issue with the Canaanites. It's one of the things that had brought judgment. Remember, they're getting ready to inherit the land. It would take 40 years because of their lack of faith, but they'd been delivered from Egypt. They're getting ready to go inherit the land. And part of the reason they're inheriting the land is not only God giving that to them as a gift, as an everlasting possession, but also because he's bringing judgment on the Canaanites, the current uh, group that is inhabiting the land. And this group has had four or five hundred years to repent. They've had the witness of the gospel brought to them through Abraham, through the events in Egypt, several things that had taken place, and yet they continued to walk in rebellion against God. And it had come to the point where Moloch, which means king of the people, uh, he also goes by Milcom in the scriptures. If you see Milcom, it's the same as Moloch. Uh, they worshiped this demon, uh, they call them a fire god. And basically, and we've talked about this before, they would sacrifice their children to this god in hopes of getting blessings back. And oftentimes it was the firstborn male who they would sacrifice to Moloch. And um, described it before, there are several historians that have described it based on uh, artifacts and writing things that have been found. This is from I believe it's Nelson's Bible Dictionary. They put it like this. His face was that of a calf. His hands stretched forth like a man who opens his hands to receive something from his neighbor. And they kindled it with fire. And the priest took the babe and put it into the hands of Moloch. And the babe gave up the ghost. Uh, another description. I, I want to get a little more detail you know, from some historical archives and writings and such. It says here, when it was thoroughly heated, the priest put the babe into its hands while drums uh, put forth a rhythm and the beat drowned out the infant's cry, lest the parent should relent. The image was set within seven chapels. The first was open to any one offering fine flower. The second to, to one offering turtle doves or young pigeons. The third to one offering a lamb. The fourth to one offering a ram the fifth to one offering a calf, the sixth to one offering an ox, and the seventh to one offering his son. So we remember we talked about the, the different um, offerings the Israelites would bring forth. And the enemy, he's not an originator, he's an imitator. And he's always wanting to try to imitate the, the things of the Lord. Um, and so, again, they would take their child, oftentimes the firstborn, this, this metal god or you know it would represent a a demonic spirit would be heated up and they would put the child and the child would would burn again in the arms of of this this idol and uh, again with the drums playing to drown out 
the, the screams and so forth, lest their conscience kick in and they cry out and say, what am I doing? Uh, probably drawn even into a hypnotic state from the repetition and so forth. Uh, reminds me of Nazi Germany when, um, you know, the Jews were being rounded up and, and brought off to the concentration camps. There's, there's uh, you know, a, you know a historical writings that the churches where the supposed Christians were, they knew when the trains would be going by taking the Jews to the concentration camp and they always made sure that's when they were singing their worship to God so they could sing so loud they would drown out the sounds of the trains going by. It doesn't take away the reality, though, of what is taking place. And uh, let's make sure in our lives we're not allowing, you know, the beat of a drum or whatever would be to drown out the truth of what's going on around us. Because we're going to see in a minute here there was a responsibility for those seeing this going on to step in and do something about it. But I think the enemy is beating his drum today and a lot of people are following like a Pied Piper that even profess Christ burying their head in the sand in regards to these types of things thinking I can just kick the can down the road and it's not my responsibility but it's not the case. So again they did this looking for a blessing. The idea was if I offer up my my son, my my infant to Moloch then I'm going to get blessing in return from him Uh, we'll talk more about this here in a second Uh, there's no doubt this is uh, the same picture of modern day abortion today Uh, it's the exact same principle it's the exact same idea Um, you know what if you offer up your child you'll have a better life I mean that's the reason that's the reasoning behind abortion you're too young to have this child you have too many kids you're not you don't have enough money coming in to support this child. So if you kill this child, and they never put it out that way, you know, if you, if you exterminate the tissue that's growing in your womb, your life will be better. And just, it's just the same lie presented and packaged in a different way. And uh, it's, it's horrific. Um, the damage that it does and so forth, the life is taken. As it says here, the child gave up the ghost when those children are, are, are murdered in a womb. They give up their ghost. And, um, you know, the, life, the Lord gives life in the womb. Remember, John the Baptist leaped in the womb uh, when he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary came in and Jesus was in her womb. Uh, that's not tissue. Um, many examples of that in Scripture. Now, again, as we're talking about this, I can't emphasize enough the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God offers because I know, I, I know that many women to go and and have abortions oftentimes they're counseled into it it doesn't relieve them of the responsibility uh, but there's a demonic element in it the enemy really encouraging them and coaching them along saying your life will be better there's individuals that um, you know what presented as it, it won't be painful it's simple and so forth which it's not it's horrific um, and uh, uh, oftentimes afterwards the amount of guilt causes women to spiral even men to spiral i've counseled many men over the years who drove their girlfriend or whoever it was down you know the abortion clinic and they were even more devastated by it than their girlfriend and in some cases their wives and then satan will write that and say you're beyond being able to forgive and so you may just well go completely embrace this lifestyle and oftentimes when you find women with multiple abortions it's not because the first one went so well they wanted to repeat it it's because they said, I'm unworthy now anyway. And it was a, a downward spiral. If I might as well go out and be completely promiscuous, uh, promiscuous and, and, you know, at party and, and everything else. But again, 
just as the lie was believed to, to take the life of that child, the enemy continues to lie. But I'm here to tell you tonight that we have a God who forgives, a, a God who restores, a God who washes, a God who says, whoever will call upon my name will be saved. Is that not good? Mm-hmm. And maybe tonight you're sitting in here and you can identify with this because you were once there. And uh, maybe you're in the place where you've been locked into that place of thinking, I can't be forgiven, I, I can't be washed, and, and that's a lie. Jesus Christ says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if that's you tonight, I can't encourage you enough to, to confess those sins and call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, I watched actually some YouTube stuff today, and, and you know these different women, um, I think it's, it's from a video called uh, Life, uh, what's it, what was it called? Something after abortion. And, uh, you know, the lady was saying on there, I have, I've, I have, and these are women that since had come to Christ. And the one lady was saying, I gave birth to, or I, I, I have three children and I terminated all of their lives. But I know now they're waiting for me in heaven because I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, that's how good our God is. That's how good our Lord is versus the enemy and, and Moloch and the mindset of this world. And yet, how oftentimes do people want to villainize God? And, well, you know, that's a woman's right to choice. You know what? And I'm defending women. Well, what about 30 million women that have been murdered over the last 40 years in our, in our country? Are you defending their rights? If tonight you're a, you know, you're a whatever you want to label yourself. I defend women and you're offending me. Well, 30 million women were murdered. You may not care about the 30 million men. Well, whatever. 30 million women aren't there enough. You know, what, what about them? Because those are 30 million lives. So... Uh, again, the Lord, this was very serious. And says, whoever participates in this, they're going to get the death penalty. See, God wanted to snuff this out. He didn't want a culture where this grew and was acceptable and so forth. Unfortunately, oftentimes it would grow in Israel and it wasn't dealt with. And we'll get more into that in a little bit here. But he says, if they do this, they need to be stoned with stones. And there's a whole lot of ignorant Christians that think the death penalty is unbiblical yet it's completely biblical you know why because god loves life and 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 god loves the sanctity of life god holds life in very very high esteem he gives men life and he does not want cultures where life is looked down upon where there's 60 million abortions and most people shrug their shoulders like it's not a big deal and where there's euthanasia now you got states that are passing uh, assisted suicide laws and so forth and over in Europe right now, one of those countries have developed a suicide machine. And it's guaranteed for you to be able to take your own life. And they've put the plans up online where you can go and get it. And surely your life's going to be taken from you and so forth. Listen, God gave life and God loves life. And it's not man's place to take away life with an act of murder or even an act of suicide, an act of abortion. And yet he did give man the sword that if you take life, your life will be taken from you. And he did that to put a fear of God in men and also for men to understand how valuable life is. And it's not, you know what, acceptable for them on their own accord to go take that life. So again, he put governments and he put laws in place um, to, to, to be acted upon um, so life would be valuable and there would be a fear of god and a fear of consequences if one would go take someone else's life this was before the flood i mean before the law that we're seeing given right now 
um, Genesis 9, 6, uh, after the flood. Uh, and we know that, that the flood came because of gross violence on earth. God told Noah, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So God loves life. And he says, men are created in the image of God. And if a man just goes slays another man, his life needs to be taken from him by men. Now, again, in God's structure, this would be government. He's not endorsing vigilantes and this sort of thing. But absolutely, God is the one that put forth capital punishment. Again, Exodus 21.12, this is later on in this period we're looking at here, the days of Moses and the giving of the law to Israel. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Now, some would say, well, you know, but that's, that's again, that's the father. What do the red letters say? Because surely Jesus would never endorse such things because, you know, he was a long-haired social justice warrior hippie that drove around smoking pot in a VW split window van, which I actually have one of those, but mine was lowered with the 32-speaker sound system in it and, you know, at about three inches off the ground and whatnot. But um, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 52. And and the Lord talks about self-defense to the disciples taking a sword. Um... But at one point, they're confused, and Peter pulls out his sword, and Jesus says to him, put away, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He's talking about here about capital punishment. Listen, Peter, if you take out your sword, and it's not in self-defense, because remember, they were thinking Jesus came to set up a kingdom. They didn't understand that it was the kingdom of heaven that he came to lay down his life so we could be forgiven and inherit eternal life. At this point, the disciples, as the Lord's getting ready to be arrested, they're thinking at any time the Lord's going to blow the trumpet, we're going to take out our sword, and we're going to conquer Rome, and we're going to become the rulers here on earth. And so Peter's pulling out in an aggressive manner, and he says, listen, you need to put it away because if you take it out on your own accord, you're going to perish by it. And then Romans 13, 4, New Testament, speaking of the government, it says, for he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, are all governments perfect? No, there are none that are. But if we had no government at all, it would be total anarchy and chaos. And praise God, Jesus is coming soon, and he's going to set up the perfect government for a thousand years here on earth it's going to be dictatorship but when the dictator is the son of god it is beautiful but again this is spoken throughout the word of god and this is where again there are certain wars that are fought and certain wars that have been fought in the history of mankind that have been just wars and dealing with those that have practiced evil and you could you know what you you could Talk about World War II, one that I already mentioned, when America got involved. And there's a lot of moving parts and so forth, and a lot of things that our nation did that we should be ashamed of, like turning away certain Jews that were coming here as refugees and so forth, knowing they'd be taken to concentration camps if they weren't allowed to come in and seek refuge. But when they finally got involved in that war, it was to stop Hitler's killing machine. And again, if some people say, well, you know, you should never take a life, so, so Hitler should have just been allowed to go. No, the Lord is saying here, it can be taken up against those who practice evil again by the government. And then later on, even in Revelation, if you say, well, what about our day and age? 
Well, Revelation 13 is talking about the period of the Antichrist, which I think we're on the cusp of. Again, he says here, if anyone kills by the sword, he must be killed with the sword. Revelation 13.10. And again, this is not addressing an issue of self-defense, which the Bible speaks to, providing for one's own family and so forth. And at one point, he even tells the disciples to take a sword. But these are talking about going out without aggression. So we need to know that and understand that and also know that this is God putting this forth so men would have a fear of God and men would, would absolutely have a high regard for life. And there's a lot of ignorant people today. So, you know, they, they think that the death penalty and these things are wrong because you're taking life. But when these things are actually acted upon in a just manner in a culture, many, many, many lives are preserved. Because people have an actual fear that there's going to be a consequence if they go out and take a life when that is actually actually implemented and, and, and put into place. Um, but unfortunately, again, it's a fallen world and in pretty much any culture, they kind of have a peak and then they just start going downhill. And again, with this uh, particular matter, it's in a matter of offering up your children, offering up your infant this would be a baby. There are actually individuals in, in universities today that you know, are in these different think tanks when it comes to abortion and life and so forth that argue, and they're trying to push the envelope to say, you know, it is not only when the baby's in the womb, but even once the baby's out of the womb, the life can still be terminated if, if, if perhaps the baby su- survived the abortion or if the child has a deformity or a handicap or something along those lines. Uh, By the way, Barack Hussein Obama was the only senator when he was a senator to vote that if a baby survived an abortion, he was to be or she was to be left on the table to die. And so you can go do your research on that. If if, if you find that offensive, that's a a, a murdering individual that did so much to to pass laws in those regards. And, um, you know, we need to pray for our current president. You know what? I definitely don't agree with all that he has done. But when it comes to pro-life, we've never had more of a pro-life president in the history of our country since abortion is, I should say, since abortion has come into place. And that's something that even if you don't like the man, and there's a lot of things not to like, um, but you know what? There's a lot of good things that he has done. And we need to pray for him, pray for his salvation. I don't think the man's born again, but we need to pray for his salvation. And we need to rejoice that he put a pro-life uh, justice uh, in the Supreme Court as he said he would. Uh, he's the first president to go. There was a recent pro-life rally to come and speak at it. No president has ever done that before. And so, you know what, pray for him. But listen, in the midst of 60 million abortions, we need, we, we, we need to rejoice in these things as Christians. And, and there's a lot of states that have done a lot of things and are doing a lot of things to make it more and more difficult for someone to have an abortion. And um, listen, that's a good thing. That saves lives, and I'll tell you, it saves a lot, a lot of, of pain and suffering uh, from, many, from many women and, and men that get bamboozled into this by liars, um, by liars, and I, I won't even go deeper into how most of these abortion clinics are tied in with Satanism and sacrifices and so forth. Many of them are. Um, you know, you, you start going down the rabbit hole, and it, this is stuff you can find real easy where it's very similar, where they're offering these children up 
just as to Moloch and all those baby parts being sold and so forth. Most of that wasn't for research. It had to do with ritual sacrifice and abuse and all that kind of thing. Uh, It just shows the depravity of man and, you know, how wicked we can get when we shun God and harden our hearts to him. Verse 3, he says here, I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Moloch to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Now, unfortunately, as you start looking at the history of Israel, and we, we talked about this a few times, and even Judah, oftentimes the kings would still allow this stuff to happen. It's talking about they wouldn't tear down the high places. Oftentimes in the high places uh, is where they would go and they would sacrifice their children to Moloch. They'd go up to, the, to, to these high points and do this. And it even talks about certain kings where they did all these good things, but they didn't tear down the high places. They didn't take that next step. And eventually there would be judgment that, that would come upon Israel and Judah for these reasons. And so basically what he's saying here, he's calling men to take care of this here in the name of God in verse 2. In verse 3, I believe he's saying, but if men won't, I'm going to set my face against that man and I'm going to take care of it. And eventually it all, eventually everything comes into judgment. That's why it's so good to call on Jesus and get right to escape judgment. Because Canaan right now was getting judged. The Canaanites were being judged. The reason why they were given the land in part, again, was because of the wickedness of the Canaanites. Um, King Ahab, Manasseh, you see these guys practice this stuff, and they reigned for a long time, but eventually the hammer came down, as well as with Israel and Judah. Eventually they went into captivity. God chastised his own for these reasons. And we got to know and recognize, when it comes to practicing these things, eventually, eventually, there's judgment that comes, whether it's to an individual or for a nation. And then in verse 4, and, and I think this is huge for us, and this is huge for the church, because we're called to be salt and light. We're called to, to, to speak up. We're called to represent the Lord. He says, and if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man when he gives some of his descendants to Moloch, and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to, to commit harlotry with Moloch. So what he's saying here, again, if you go and do this, you're to be stoned with stones. If they don't stone you with stones, I'm going to set my face against you. And listen, God can throw bigger stones than men can throw. Now, praise God, a stone was rolled away and Christ resurrected so that we could be washed when we genuinely repent. And we're not going to lose sight of that in this. But he's saying here as well that if you see this happening and you hide your face, you bury your head in the sand and do nothing, then I'm going to set my face against you. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day and age where a whole lot of people that profess Christ bury their head in the sand in this stuff. They don't want to say anything. And they don't want to stand for truth. They're more concerned with what they're thought of by people than what God thinks. You're like, well, Steve, these are Old Testament concepts. Come on. James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. We can't cower with these things. Um. How sad recently, I don't know if you followed what's gone on over there in Ireland. And it was one of the remaining kind of, I guess, 
first world countries that abortion was illegal in. And, um, you know, they had their, their vote on it. And it looked like it was going to be perhaps because uh, they were voting for abortion because it's not legal there. And it looked like perhaps it would lose. Yet it seems from the polls, it was one of those things where people were ashamed to say they were pro-choice and it won in a landslide. And by the way, all you U2 fans, Bono, I've been saying for years, this guy's not a Christian. He's evil. He headed up the charge in it, supporting it and celebrating it. And um, I don't know, it just ticks me off because I know so many Calvary Chapel pastors that worship that guy. And just, I'd always tell him, like, what's wrong with you guys? This guy's, I'm not trying to boast to myself, but I'm like, this is, you ever listen to the lyrics? Dude's whack. He absolutely is. Go listen to some of those lyrics. And, and he, he, he has an ultra image, kind of like Beyonce with uh, Sasha Fierce, whatever, where she, you, you can see her face change like she gets demon-possessed. He has one called, um, what is it called? It's like he, he becomes like this devil individual in concerts and so forth. And I'm going down a rabbit trail here that I'm going to get back off. But I throw it out there because this guy's idolized as some stout Christian. And he also celebrated when they passed gay marriage over there. And these guys still support him. I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? Are, are you that so much into the drumbeat that he makes that you allow it to deafen your ears to these things? See, there, there's connections to this stuff. There's nothing new underneath the sun. I was looking, and, and it's actually when I came across that video thing today, I was looking, doing some updating for the bookstore and uh, Christian book distributor, uh, distributors. I was looking on there, and, and I'd come across that video and so I kind of went through their related products, and it was amazing how many good books and videos that talk about abortion were discounted 90%. And I think, why is it discounted 90%? Well, either no one's buying it anymore, or they want to get it out of their warehouse because it's not popular to talk about. Just an observation I made. Maybe I'm wrong in it, I don't know. But let me read you this, Romans 1.28, when it comes to burying our head in the sand, and then some even take it farther where they say, well, I don't participate in it, uh, but I approve it. You know, there's a lot of people that take that angle when it comes to abortion and other things. Well, I would never do that myself or recommend it, but I'm okay with it. And with a lot of these issues. Well, listen to Romans 1.28. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. We'll talk a little bit more about that this Sunday, God giving them over. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. There are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, hear this, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And he puts in the same boat those that do these things with those that say, well, I don't do it, but I approve of it. And I'm telling you, when you move to that place of burying your head in the sand to turning a blind eye to it, as he talks about here, the next step is, well, I don't participate, but I approve. And that's where Christianism is to a large degree today. Again, eventually, though, the judgment comes. And how can we as a nation defile our land with 60 million 
murders probably more than that and think there's not going to be a judgment if we don't repent as a nation and it starts with us as individuals though maybe tonight maybe tonight there needs to be repentance for some burying their head in the sand or just saying well i don't speak to it or you didn't say anything when you heard someone friend or whatever let me tell you be the person that steps up and says something i i can't the lord and and this is the glory of god because listen I'm nothing without the grace of God because we're going to go down this list and it's like, oh yeah, guilty of that. Did that before. Uh, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. But multiple times I've had women or grandmas or moms bring their daughters and say she's considering an abortion and talk to them about murder and, and God's plan. And, and I guarantee you some socialistic counselor would deem me the devil himself for saying it but every one of those girls kept their babies and every one of them afterwards just thanked me for that and again to the glory of god so i say that to you to encourage you this is we have the good news and we need to go and share that we have life and people need to hear it and i'm going to tell you a lot of times people in that place they just need someone to encourage them because in the heart they know even non-believers they know in their heart and it's easy to find people to coach you up to go and, and, and to have an abortion or to practice these things. But when that per, one person just steps up and says, no, you know, this is life. Uh, and, and, and to come with an anointed prophetic voice that God will give you if you're willing to step up. I just can't encourage you enough not to hide your eyes, but to step up and say something. Uh, because we're all individuals here and oftentimes it's God just using the individual in that place at that time and maybe tonight you're saying man I, I didn't say that that time well then bring it before the Lord and learn from it and and God's not going to say well I won't give you another opportunity he will let's learn from perhaps those botched opportunities one last thing here though he says again I'll cut him off from his people notice what he says who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Moloch and, and that's a heavy word. Um, you're like, well, there's no physical prostitution going on, though sometimes there would be with some of their pagan ceremonies. But absolutely, there was a spiritual, you know, for lack of a better word, intercourse going on with the demonic. And that's why the Lord says, you've got to cut this out. This is occultic. For you to allow this to happen, to turn a blind eye to it, you're prostituting yourself with with the demonic absolutely you are and um we need to know and and in a second here we'll read some scriptures about you can't partake of the table of the lord and and demons in fact notice verse six he says and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them i will set my face against that against that person and cut him off now a medium is a type of go-between this would be an individual that would be demonized by a familiar spirit. In fact, the King James Version says the person who turns to a medium with a familiar spirit. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. So it's not turning to a medium or a familiar spirit, but to a medium that has a familiar spirit or a medium that's demonized. And we'll talk more about the medium, the familiar spirits in a minute. Um, you know, you're turning to the demonic, like with Moloch, versus turning to God. Isaiah, as the Lord moved on him, wrote this, Isaiah 8, 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek God? Should they not 
should they seek the dead on the behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not just speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And unfortunately, again, I've known a lot of believers that have sought mediums looking for some answer. I've ran into Christians, people who profess Christ, that, you know what, they, they go to mediums. Or oh, I'm going to this thing and there's going to be a medium there. Most of them are probably biblically illiterate or, or, or ignorant or something. Uh, others just don't care. They take God's word lightly and then you got to question, is he really your Lord if you take his word so light? And the counsel we get, we don't need to go to the dead when we have the living God. Why would we go to the dead when we're really not going to the dead? We're going to a demon posing as the dead that's a familiar spirit that knows everything about you or a lot about you. They're familiar with you so they can pose as Uncle Jake. But that's not Uncle Jake. That's Demon Jake. You're like, oh, I'm named Jake. You've offended me. I just, I pulled the name out of the, out of the hat here. So a medium with the familiar spirit or familiar spirit. Again, there's demons that are familiar with you, with, with your family. Satan is highly organized. Go read Ephesians 6. Powers and principalities, um, rulers of darkness of this age, um, so on and so forth. No doubt he has soldiers, he has spies, they watch, they look for opportunities and so forth. And God says he's going to cut his, set his face against such and cut them off from his people. And I can tell you this, that as Christians, if we dabble with the cult, if we really call on the name of the Lord, you're saved, but it will cut off your fellowship with the Lord. Again, 1 Corinthians 10.21, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Verse 7, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So in the midst of all of that, Moloch and mediums and familiar spirits and child sacrifice, abortion, and in the midst of what's coming next, where he goes through, again, this sexual sin, in the midst of it, what's he say? Consecrate yourself, be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes, perform them. I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. He's saying, come to me. Conse- humble yourself, consecrate, humble yourself and turn to me, turn to my way. In the midst of all these things, he says, come to me and let me give you life. As Jesus put it in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And praise God, that's who our God is. Quickly here, verse 10. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother. His blood shall be upon him. The idea behind this was if someone's going to curse their earthly father, it's not going to take much for them to curse their heavenly father. The Lord was trying to stop rebellion in the camp. Again, we're living in a nation that the family has been attacked the parent's role has been attacked. It's been forfeited by many. That's part of the reasons why we have a nation that's so rebellious against God. There's not a respect of the parents, so there's not going to be respect. If you don't respect your parent, you can see. How are you going to respect God who you can't see? And it's funny. I see some of those parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. The other day I was at somewhere, and they're like, oh, these millennials. And they go, oh, the millennials, the millennials. And I finally said, listen, someone raised them. 
And someone raised those that raised them. And I'm no historian, but listen, I've heard about the 60s. I've heard about how things changed. Another World War II reference. After World War II, when, when, when there was a, a big you know, run of, of, of big houses and big cars, and you know what, and, and I want to be careful with this because, you know, um, um, you know, multiple income homes sometimes, you know, today you almost need that to survive in, in our country, but uh, it was a reshaping of the family home and priorities. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with a big home or a big car or those things, but when they are emphasized over raising your kids properly, that's an issue. It absolutely is an issue. Maybe that's a word for someone tonight. You're sacrificing raising your kids for a bunch of stuff. Now, again, there's a difference between making, you know, being able to pay the rent. And I understand, I know I live, I live where you all live. But again, someone raises these kids. And uh, I guess that's my second rabbit trail here. You know, again, the Bible says don't, convert, don't, don't provoke your children to wrath. And so there's a balance in all of it. But what this was, was God wanting to have, again, the home in order so the nation would be in order. And this is to preserve their souls and so forth. But there's an assault on all these things today. And the enemy comes at it in many, many ways. Uh, verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And we talked about this in a lot of detail a few weeks ago. I won't spend as much time on it this time. But remember, again, Jesus spoke to this. Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 19, 4, have you not read? And the Lord holds up the word of God as his standard. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, that you shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's it. That's God's blessing on sexual relations. One man, one woman, and holy matrimony, the two shall be one. And he said, I made a male and female on top of that. This is God's word on these things. And so if a man go takes, takes another man's wife, that man and that other man's wife, they're going to be put to death. Again, God wanted to purge the culture. He didn't want this to become the norm. This was done to put a fear of God in their heart, to bring order to their home and so forth, or to their, to their nation. Now again, is this where you say, well, oh, you, know, you, you support the death penalty today for adultery, fornication? These were the laws for the nation of Israel. One thing we do know, Hebrews 13, 4, under the new covenant, it says marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled, but fornicators, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Jesus has come to give life. If we want to walk in sin, we're under condemnation. Eventually, the second death is coming. So the concept is the same. The difference is back then, when it comes to cer certain sins, you know, with sexual sin, they were to execute it as a government because God wanted them to be a peculiar people. Yeah, we're under the new covenant. We're under a time of grace. God's saying, though, if you want to practice that and deny me, the day's going to come when I'm going to judge you and you're going to face a second death. And let me tell you, the second death is way worse than the first. And this is why Christ died to save us from that, to deliver us absolutely from it. 
Of course, when we talk to these issues, the Lord even, you know, it, he added to it in that he said um, in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say that whoever looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you're like, oh, we're in the age of grace, though. You know, God is, Jesus said, listen, it's not just if you do it, it's if you lust. So the Lord added on to it. I saw a thing today. I saw a lot of things today. A recent Gallup poll, really recent, 43% of Americans survey believe that pornography is morally acceptable. 43%. It doesn't say only 43% look at it. That would be much higher. But 43% say it's morally acceptable. That, that's, man, that's a horrific statistic there. Listen, I grew up, I started looking at pornography about five years old. I knew every time I looked at it, it was wrong. Absolutely, to the day I fell on my knees and repented, there was never a time I justified it. I knew it was wrong. 43% now say it's morally acceptable. That's a nation with a seared conscience right there. That's a, that's a horrific statistic. We'll stop right there and pick it up. I, I thought I'd get through the chapter. I probably can get it through the rest of it pretty quick because a lot of this is kind of rehash. But next week we'll do 20. We'll try to do 21 too. I wanted to spend a lot of time though at the beginning of this, especially on the part where he talks about the individual that hides his eyes. We can't hide our eyes. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to say something. We need to be more concerned with what God's going to say. He said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you. We need to be more concerned with that than someone getting bent out of shape because we stand up for truth, whether it's face-to-face or on social media. And there's a whole lot of people, oh, I don't want to say anything. I might get defriended. Listen, better for that person. Now do it tactfully and loving, but we got to represent. We're called to be salt and we're called to be light. You might save a soul doing that. You might save a life. You might empower someone else, embolden someone else when they see you do that to actually speak up and you don't even know about that, but you're going to stand up on eternity. And the Lord says, because you weren't a coward that night on Facebook, you emboldened someone else and they said something and that child was spared. You got a little crown, little jewel right there in your crown for that one. And then you're going to take it and you're going to throw it at his feet. And you go, I give you all the glory and praise. Oftentimes that's how it works. You you get a group of cowards together and bad things happen. You get people that want to be loving and bold and speak truth. It's amazing. It is amazing what can happen. And, and that's one of the biggest problems today is, is people say, well, I don't want to say anything. I'll lose my rights. You've already lost them. I don't want to say anything. Something might happen to me. Something's already happened. You've become a coward. That's much worse than whatever anyone can inflict on you. Your, you've, your, your conscience is, has been seared a little bit. We should be more disturbed if we don't say something that, man, I'm glad I didn't say anything so I can sleep at peace tonight. Paul talks about having a clear conscience. So th- this is why we come to this stuff and I'm gonna, we gotta, we gotta look at it for what it is and we all need to grow in it and abound in it. And again, all of this, look at all of it. Without the grace of God, we have nothing, amen? 
Without the forgiveness of God, we have nothing. Um, but these things, these things, again, all the more damn souls and lead people astray and destroy cultures and eventually bring judgment that Christ has come to, to make a way of salvation from. So Lord, we thank you tonight. We praise you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I want to pray for our nation tonight, even for our community, that there'd be a turning to you. Uh, we need you desperately, God. You know, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that we do have a government and, and there's a lot of bad things, there's a lot of good things and we need to appreciate that, God. And I pray for our president's salvation, that the man will genuinely come to know you. I don't know his heart, but you know what, I look and it, it, you know, there's a lot of conflicting things here. I pray the man will genuinely profess you and there'd be a cloak of humility on him and I also at the same time, thank you, Lord, for a lot of godly things, whether he knows are or not, that have, that have been done. And uh, I, I don't care if anyone's offended that I say, that's a good thing, some of these pro-life things. And I pray we, would, we wouldn't be frightened to, to, to speak the truth. And Lord, even tonight, if there's any in our midst that maybe they're here and they participate in these things and walked in these things, let them know, Lord, none of this is to shame them, but to set them free. Because in and of ourselves, we all should hang our heads and be ashamed of if our life started getting played up on this screen, every one of us would run for the door. And yet you have come to clothe us, to, to robe us with your righteousness. And listen, if that's you tonight, call on his name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let him wash you and cleanse you and cleanse your conscience. Let it be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ that you can walk in newness of life. And then you can even go take your errors and mistakes and use it as a platform, as a testimony to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ and share the gospel with them. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Call on him if you don't know him. He will meet you where you are at. Bless the rest of our night here, God, our fellowship. We just thank you that you are so good. We pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. We say together, amen.